You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome, welcome once again inside the Hot Stove Report. We are thrilled to have you with us, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. We've got a lot of great Mariners baseball to talk about over the next couple of hours. We'll be joined shortly by James Paxton. Jake Fraley joins us as well tonight. Cal Raleigh, among others. But Gary, unfortunately, we have to start the program tonight with matters off the field. Uh, we all know what has happened in Mariners land over the last few days. Kevin Mather, now the former CEO and president of the ball club, has resigned after his uh, very unfortunate comments uh, earlier in the month. And you know, Gary, for us and wanting to address this immediately off the top of the show, uh, I, I think our most important message to everyone listening right now is that we, we are Mariners fans. We, we care about this organization, just like everybody listening uh, on their phone or on the radio right now. And we are uh, as equally outraged and disappointed as they are. And this is a, this is a very sad, sad time uh, for the Mariners that hopefully uh, with time and proper action, uh, we will all get through, but it doesn't lessen the blow that we all feel right now. No, it's hard. Um, and, I'm angry is probably the word I would choose angry uh, for the players that were involved and mentioned in it for uh, a lot of wonderful people in the Mariners organization. I mean, there's, uh, and we have contact with uh, our coworkers, Mariners uh, employees every day. And there's so many great people doing great work every single day. And they all want this organization to succeed on the field and off the field. And so I'm angry for them and I'm angry for the fans because the fans deserve better. And I think we all deserve better than this. And this has been a really hard uh, few days, I think for everyone, uh, whether you're in the organization or out of the organization. I mean, this is, you know, I grew up here. Mariners are in my heart. This has always been my team and, this it's been a gut punch and it's been hard. Uh, I'm optimistic though, as, as you mentioned for where this organization is going on the field and off the field, there's a lot of wonderful people involved, which uh, I'm thankful for. And yeah, it's just, it's going to take time to get through, but it's, it's been hard. There's no getting around that. It's been hard. It's so funny because we, you know, we're coming still somewhat off the heels of, the Mariners virtual baseball bash, this, this two week Mariners celebration of all these people within the organization, 60 different people took part both on field and off field. And uh, Gary, you and I talked off the air as we do so often. And we talked on the air also sharing our thoughts, our biggest takeaway from those two weeks. And you interviewed a ton of guys and I interviewed a ton of people as well. Some of which we knew already, some we were talking to for the first time. And we, we were just blown away by the quality of the person, each one that we spoke with, which of course saying that phrase now, it comes into question, but from what we experienced, it was remarkable. And you and I are both in, in the same line of thinking that it seemed like everybody we talked to were the exact type of people that you want in your organization. And unfortunately that wasn't the case all the way through. But I think for me, and I'm sure you would agree, Gary, all the people that you referenced that work in this company, in this organization who care so deeply and man, they wake up every morning 
with this burning desire to make themselves better, to make this organization better, and in many cases, uh, make their community and the world better. We're going to talk to Carson Vitale at the end of this first hour. He's, he's very much like that. Uh, and it is so sad when you don't have that from absolute top to bottom. And I guess the only positive that I see from it now is that now I, I, I feel like there is more clear direction than now we do have that with the change that was made, but it was certainly something that was painful to go through. And I hope for all of our fans listening who are, are with us every Tuesday night and who follow all through spring training in the regular season, uh, I understand that uh, there's going to be some scarring that, that comes along with what's happened. Uh, but know that we care just like you care. And we are every day doing everything that we can to make this the, the best organization in baseball and truly a, a first-class organization, which uh, I believe we can get there. And we have so many good people in place to help make that happen. Well, with that in mind, we will step aside. And when we come back, we will talk about uh, some, we'll talk to rather uh, somebody that we are all eager to hear from. Uh, he has returned. James Paxton joins us next on the Hot Stove Report. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Report. We're thrilled as always to have you with us, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And we are over the moon to be talking to our first guest tonight. We take you down to the Valley of the Sun, to Peoria, Arizona. And we welcome to the program. James Paxton, back with the ball club. James, it is wonderful to be with you tonight. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's great. You know, I'm, I'm loving being here again. Um, great to see everybody. A lot of new faces, but, uh, you know, it's great to be here. I'm excited to be a Mariner again. Yeah, you bring up new faces. That's a good point. Uh, your, your manager is the same. Uh, but other than that, there are not a lot of guys in that clubhouse uh, who were at least full-time regular big leaguers when you were last year. Uh, have you been having to do a lot of hellos and nice to meet you? Yeah, meeting a lot of new guys. You know, everyone's been great. I uh, really like all the guys I've been working with. There's a few familiar faces, you know, with uh, Marco around and Hanniger. Seeger's going to be coming in today. Um, you know, I think that's I think that's it as far as guys that were here when I was here before. Um, but yeah, I'm really liking all the new guys, all the guys I'm meeting. Seems like a great group and uh, it's going to be a fun season. You know, thinking about that, you know, all the young players on the team, the young pitchers on the team, how much are you looking forward to a leadership role with this club? I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I, I enjoy that stuff. I enjoy helping other players and, uh, you know, teaching them what I've learned along the way. Uh, as well as, you know, learning some new ideas from these young guys. You know, they kind of have come up in a different era, I guess, as me. The, I feel like the analytics has really taken off in the minor leagues since I came through, and they have a really good understanding of how that stuff works. So I feel like I can learn from them when it comes to some of that stuff. You have a, a new pitching coach uh, this year with the Mariners and Pete Woodworth. Uh, how much rapport, how much conversation have you been able to have with Pete in the early days so far? Yeah, we've had a couple of meetings just talking about, um, you know, me and uh, how I like to work, what I like to know and uh, what my approach is on the mound. And he seems great. You know, I think we're going to have a great relationship. I think he's going to be able to help me a lot and keep me on the on the track of uh, where I want to go here. How have the early days been in camp so far? They've been good. You know, we've had a great time. Uh, like I said, the group's awesome. We've had a lot of fun and, uh, you know, it's going to be fun to get the positional players in here and get the whole group going. Uh, I think we have a really good uh, group of guys. James Paxton is our guest on the Hot Stove Report. Uh, James, you're 
you've had to recover from what sounded like a, a pretty serious a surgical procedure in, in your final year with the Yankees, uh, a, a back operation. Can you tell us kind of what prompted this and what you've had to go through to get back up on the mound? Yeah, so 2019, at the end of the season there, um, I was having some issues with my back and kind of in my glute. And it would happen when I would raise my, my right legs. I was going towards the plate. And I had to pitch through the pain in the postseason because that's just what you do in the postseason. And then I went to the offseason. It just kind of progressively got worse. Uh, you know, couldn't work out without pain and stuff. And then we finally figured out what was going on there. Uh, and I had a cyst in my, I think, S1 joint in my back. So we had to go in and um, get rid of that cyst. And then just recovering from that surgery took, took some time. You know, I just had to get the strength back and everything and feel like it really messed up my mechanics. So I really had to break things down this off season and uh, kind of build from scratch and really uh, get that strength up in my core and in my back. You mentioned pitching in the postseason. How different was it uh, pitching a postseason game compared to a regular season game? What was that experience like? Oh man. So my first one, I, I couldn't feel my body. Like I was so like jacked up, like everything was just buzzing. I couldn't feel the ball in my hand. It was just letting it rip. And then each game it got a little better. You know, I got uh, more feel, felt more comfortable out there. And by the third one, you know, I felt like myself again out there. I mean, I was fired up, jacked up, but uh, it was, it was a great feeling and went out there and you know pitched with my heart. And that was, um, that's what it's all about. It was, it was tons of fun. It's a pleasure to be joined by James Paxton on the Hot Stove Report. James, in your first stint with the Mariners, uh, we saw you change right, and develop as a pitcher on the mound. And everything from the results to the mechanics. I mean, like any young player, we saw you evolve. Uh, how are you different uh, in terms of anything, mentally, physically? Uh, how you throw a ball from the last time that we saw you in a Mariners uniform? Yeah, well, I think you know, in baseball, we're constantly learning and adjusting. You know, it's what this game is. It's as soon as you get stagnant, you get passed by. Um, so I'm, I'm focused on continuing to get better, continuing to learn, and um, um, just become a better pitcher. You know, I think uh, this year I'll be using the changeup a little bit. You know, it's something that I've worked on uh, mechanically. Uh, I've worked on things, kind of clean things up, and feeling really good about it right now. The ball's coming out great. And... Uh, yeah, just um, feeling good. What was the impetus in developing the changeup, using it more? Where did this come from? Well, last year I wasn't throwing as hard, so I had to have something to change speeds and really forced me to throw my changeup more. And um, I think that made me get more confidence in that changeup because I had to throw it. And coming in, going into the off season and throwing it early in camp here, it's feeling really good. And I feel a lot more confident letting that pitch rip. So I think it's going to be a usable pitch for me this year. What are your goals in the spring in preparation for the regular season? Like, what would you like to accomplish getting ready? Well, I think uh, for me, it's going to be, you know, getting that velocity back uh, gradually throughout the spring, you know, making sure that's still there. Um, and then working on my breaking stuff, making sure I'm getting on top of the ball. You know, I'm focused on my spin direction right now to try and get some good ride on the ball. Um, working with some analytics stuff, looking at some tunneling. Uh, but, you know, the first few games is just going to be getting my, getting used to being on the mound again in competition. That's usually what it's about. And uh, focusing on locating the fastball and go from there. 
James, uh, five years ago, we never would have heard a pitcher say that in spring they're working on their spin direction. Uh, so this is a very interesting topic for many of us. Can you tell us uh, what exactly you mean by that and, and how you get it in the direction that you want it? Yeah, well, last year I really had a hard time with it because my back and my mechanics, I was getting on the side of the ball and my, my fastball was coming through the zone really flat, you know, so it was easier for the hitter to see. Um, now I'm trying to get my fingers more on top of the ball and spin the ball uh, more at like an 11, 15. Um, so, you know, if this is, I don't know if they can see the video here, but uh, you know, so they can't see it. All right. So I'm just on a, on a clock, you know, so on a clock, you know, you got, you got 12 o'clock. I'm trying to be on the, like between 11 and 12, right. Last season, I think I was closer to, you know, nine forty-five or 10. So I was getting a lot of like kind of run and not getting that uh, ride on my fastball. that is really good for me at the top of the zone. So getting more on top of the ball, being closer to 11, 15 is going to give me some more ride on my fastball. I think it's wild to think about just in the time you've been in the majors, how much we've learned about pitching and the analytics, how it's changed, how we look at things. What helps you the most when it comes to you as a pitcher? Well, I think for me, it's that spin direction that we just talked about and my release height and making sure that my release point is the same on every pitch. You know, I don't want to be giving away what pitch I'm throwing by throwing pitches from a different window. You know, I want all of those pitches to come out looking the exact same and then break off when it gets closer to the plate. It's great to be joined by James Paxton on the Hot Stove Report. James, you mentioned a little bit earlier trying to regain that velocity. I'm curious with the people that you've spoken with, whether it be trainers, doctors who perform the surgery, uh, pitching coaches, is there a belief that that velocity can be regained in, in full throttle and back to where it was? Or is there something, is there going to be a, a, a compromise in velocity given what your body's gone through? Um, I don't, I think I'll be able to get it back. You know, I, when I went through the back surgery, they had to do a mini micro disectomy, you know, so take a little bit of bone. And they said that it can take up to a year for that to grow back completely. Uh, so I got that surgery done in February of 2020. So now, you know, that should be completely healed and it feels completely healed. And my body should be, you know, in a place where I can then move at the velocity that I want to move without, you know, subconsciously holding myself back. James, when take us back a little bit through the process, right? You, become a free agent. Uh, you are a guy that has a, a track record in the big leagues and a, and a very good one then at performing. Uh, when it came time for you to discuss opportunities with teams, uh, this obviously didn't happen until the, the days leading up to spring training, but you're not alone at that given the free agent market right now. Tell us what this offseason was like for you and trying to find the perfect fit for you and your family as to where you wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, last year was really tough for me. You know, there's a lot of question marks, I think, uh, with me from teams. And I understand that, you know, after what I went through last year. So obviously I wasn't coming into, into free agency um, in the best, at the best time for me in my career. Um, that being said, I did have a lot of interest from lots of teams. Um, they were kind of calling and, you know, telling us that they were interested uh, throughout the off season, weren't a lot of offers that came in. They came, uh, the offers started coming in more late, uh, to more towards spring training, um, and I did get some get some different offers that we looked at. But overall, um, my wife and I decided that Seattle was the right place to be for me, somewhere where I feel comfortable, um, you know, and I get to live at home uh, in Seattle. 
and really just get my feet back under me and, um, you know, focus on getting back to being myself out there on the mound. I know you had a, a bullpen session that was a throwing session that was, that was open. Uh, that uh, I know Jerry uh, sounds like was there and Justin Hollander, assistant general manager. Uh, what's it like for, for a guy in your position where, I mean, you know that how you perform in this very small snippet of time is going to have a major impact to your near-term and possible long-term future. Uh, how does that feel compared to you're lacing them up for every five days in a regular start, because in some ways you can make the case it has as big of an impact as an actual start. Yeah. I mean, it was tough to kind of get you know, fired up for a bullpen, you know, throwing in December on turf, you know, in turf shoes. Um, you know, at that point I was only throwing fastballs and changeups. I wasn't throwing breaking balls yet, but you know, there was some, definitely some added adrenaline with people there watching and everything, but uh, I was just focused on, on, on my mechanics and, um, and letting it rip and just showing people that I was healthy. You know, I just wanted to show people that I was back to being healthy. I could get on top of the ball again. I think I showed that I had that ride on my fastball again, and I was consistently um, repeating my, my delivery. Well, it's great to be with James Paxton here to begin the Hot Stove Report. We will return with more of James when we come back. Two balls, two strikes, two on, two out. Paxton, his 2-2. Swing and a miss. He did it. 97 crackling right on by Smolinski. Down he goes. Strikeout number 16. A career high for James Paxton. They're on their feet here at Safe Gold Field. A standing ovation as the A's have gone scoreless through seven innings. Big game here for James. What a night as he has dealt. Hot Stove Report rolls along. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill as we continue our conversation with Mariners starting pitcher James Paxton. So we're going to see number 44 on your back this year, right? What? What's, uh, anything special with 44? Uh, well, 44 is a number that I wore uh, back when I was pitching in Ladner as a younger player. Um, so it kind of um, is nostalgic that way, I guess. Um, you know, 65 is going to be worn by Casey Sadler, and he's wearing it for a very good reason that I support. Um, so that's why I was totally comfortable with letting him keep that number and me moving on to number 44. And uh, I feel good about it, you know, kind of starting the, sec- the second chapter of my, of my career. Was Taiwan the last 44? I think so. Yeah, he, I, 44 he, is like Taiwan. Like that was his big – I mean, always oh, got like the double zero and the 99 thing going now. He's like, he's the cool kid now. Right. Uh, but like 44 was like, he was a big 44 guy when he broke in, I thought. Yeah. He texted me. He told, he, uh, he's like, Hey, you're going to be, you're going to be wearing my number over there. I was like, yeah, yeah, dude, I'm trying to be like you. <laughs> uh, James, I, I have to say, uh, it does look good to see you with some facial hair. Yeah. I now I know, I know when, you know, you go to the Yankees and you get the pinstripes and, you know, Braun Razor Company reaches out and they were like, oh, James, we want <laughs> you to be the spokesman for our razors because you got to shave it all off. Like, that's cool and everything. But like now, I feel like it's packs in a flannel back in the Northwest on a rainy day. Like this, this seems like an old pair of slippers, James. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think the, the beard is definitely more me. Uh, I think, you know, you fit in over there, you know, clean shaven, you know, professional looking guy. I'd be, I'd be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm comfortable with the beard and my, my wife was happy that I was able to throw the beard back. I understand. Uh, James, as a, a proud Canadian, as you know, I mean, there's hockey coming to town, man. Yeah. Now, I know you were you not yeah. like this. You were not as prolific of an amateur hockey player as you were a pitcher. Uh, 
not, not close. Even, is that fair to say? Yeah, not even close. So it didn't play any organized hockey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're talking to the one Canadian yeah. who as a child did not play organized hockey, which is fine. I, I think it was a good decision. Uh, but I would think since this is home for you year round, regardless of your employer, like having some hockey in town's got to fire you up a little bit, make you feel even a little bit more like your upbringing, right? Oh, it's going to be great. You know, I'm definitely firing on once we can go to games. I'm going to be going to some hockey games and I love watching hockey live. It's uh, probably one of my favorite sports to watch live. We're, ex we're excited for it too. And uh, man, we are pumped that number 44 is now back with the ball club, which is going to be kind of strange, but we'll get used to it. That's all right. Uh, but James, man, some of our best memories in recent years uh, involve James Paxton on the mound. Like there's no doubt about that from the no hitter to uh, the, the 16, was 16 strikeouts, right? 16 strikeouts against the yep. A's. Yeah, that's right. Which, which by the way, let's get the definitive answer to this, James. Mm. Which game did you pitch better in? The 16 punchies against the A's or your next start, which was the no hitter against the Blue Jays? I definitely had better stuff um, in the 16 strikeout game. Uh, the no hitter, I mean, that was more about the whole team than it was just about me. Um, you know, the plays being made behind me were unreal. And um, early in the game, in that game, I, I didn't know what I was, I didn't have very good stuff. And I was walking everybody. I just happened to not give up any hits. And the guys were making great plays behind me. I remember uh, D made that dive and play, I think, in the first inning in center field. Uh, and then I kind of started to lock it in and I got, got the breaking ball going. I started locating my fastball better. And then the velo came along um, later in the game and it all, it all just worked out. Okay. So in a game this year, if you had the choice, would you rather throw another no hitter or would you rather strike out 20 in a game? Ooh, man, that's a tough one. Um, honestly, I think, Striking out twenty in a game would be sick. That would just be a very, very just a, a notch on the belt. That's pretty awesome. I mean, not many people have struck out twenty in a game. That's a pretty elite list to join. I'm thinking okay. about that, man. Like it would be. Yeah. I I think that's. Can we earmark that quote from Paxton? By the way, it would be sick. <laughs> that's a good one. But man, to have to have multiple no nos on your resume. Oh, true. Yeah, I mean, both are awesome. You know, I'm just thinking like the list of guys that have struck out 20, I think is a lot shorter than the list that's thrown a no hitter to be on both lists. would be pretty cool. That's, yeah, no, fair. Very fair. I like where you're thinking. We're not trying to make you pick children here. <laughs> basically, basically our, that's what our questions are taking you. Uh, but man, we're, we're so happy that you're back with the ball club, James, and we wish we could see you in person, but we'll, uh, we'll settle for this. I know the fan base is fired up to have you back as well. Maple Grove is going to be, uh, whether it's uh, virtual to start, in person at some point, hopefully once the season gets underway, it's a uh, very spirited, lively cheering section that we all have uh, uh, grown to love immediately. It's, it's fantastic. So, James, it's great to see you, man. Thank you for hopping on with us tonight. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to being a part of this uh, talented young team here. It's going to be a lot of fun. There he is, James Paxton, back with the ball club in 2021. Kind enough to join us tonight on the Hot Stove Report. Gary, one of the uh, great new features I feel of the program that we have had over the last couple of months has been the ability for listeners to reach out to us directly and send us a question by emailing us at marinerspod at mariners.com. Once again, that's marinerspod at mariners.com. And now let's, uh, let's take this week's question. Let's do it. This is a good one. You ready? I'm ready. 
Hi, my name is Aubrey, and I'm nine years old and go to Cottonwood Elementary. I am the smallest one in my family, but I am the best athlete. The Mariners did a lot better at playing small ball last year. Do you see that happening again this year? Who is the Mariners' best base runner, and who do you expect to bat leadoff most of the time? <laughs> Aubrey, you're fantastic. Yes. Aubrey's coming for our job. <laughs> Uh, Aubrey, thank you for your question. Thank you for listening. And you know what? A growth spurt's coming. I'm telling you, boy, a lot of good stuff here. Three for one. Start. You know, small ball can be interpreted a lot of ways. The Mariners stole a lot of bags last year. After all, uh, I, I think that can change from year to year with personnel, uh, changing along with it. Uh, but I am, I guess I'm curious to see if, if that rate will, will somewhat stay the same for the Mariners in a full season in, in 2021. The question about the best base runner, Gary, I like is very that. difficult because yeah. as you know, normally the best base runner is like the sneaky best base runner. Rarely is your best base runner, the guy who swipes the most bags. So I, this is how I would answer the question. If you look at, Per StatCast, if you look at the fastest sprint speed among Mariners' regular everyday position players last year, I think some people might be surprised that it was scary. Evan White, you know, and it's something we talked about during the season that it is not the correct thing to say that Evan White is fast for a first baseman. That is not accurate. Evan White is fast. And usually you don't say X so-and-so player first baseman is fast. That's usually not something that goes together. But in this case, it is. Evan White is fast. In fact, he's fast enough to have been an outfielder if he just wasn't so gifted at playing first base. Yeah, that's a great point. There were a lot of teams when he was going through the draft process after his junior year at Kentucky who – thought of him as such a great athlete that they toyed with the idea of moving him to center field because that's where you want to have a great athlete. And there was some thought that you would be wasting his athleticism at first base, a more static position. <laughs> well, as we have seen in a very short period of time, uh, the Mariners made the right decision to have him at first base, obviously. But even though it, you don't have to be the fastest guy to be the best base runner, uh, I think Evan White will be among the fastest on the Mariners mm -hmm. for years to come. And he strikes me in, in our conversations with Evan, he strikes me as the type of heady guy who really enjoys that aspect and that element of the game and would continue to get better at it yeah. as he matures, especially at the highest level. So I, I don't know if I can declare him the best base runner on the team right now, Gary, but I feel like, he will be among the best base runners for the Mariners in years to come. That, which again, doesn't mean that he's swiping the most bags, but I think he will take the extra base with greater ease than some other guys. I think he will have a handful of swipes too along the way, but yes, I agree. I agree with all of that. We agree. Well, shockingly. <laughs> thank you, Aubrey. Uh, Aubrey for submitting your question, you will be receiving. That's the last one. Oh, thank you. I can't believe you will be receiving a Mariners prize pack. You will receive a Mariners prize pack. Yes. But the last one is great too. I can't. Thank you, Gary. I can't. I'm so sorry, Aubrey. This is actually my favorite part of the question. I got excited about Evan White swiping like 30 bags, as he said, right? 
That's what you said. Uh, who will bat lead off for the Mariners in 2021? I love this question. I think, I feel like uh, JP Crawford is in that conversation, right? I mean, it's kind of a natural, natural fit. I would be very intrigued by Mitch Hanniger leading off for the Mariners. I don't know if it will happen. He has done it before at a very high level. I think he'd be really good at it. Good on base guy. Bring some pop as well. Really good hitter. Gary, yeah. two, 2018, Mitch Haniger. Uh-huh. 45 games as a leadoff hitter. You ready for this? Hit 330, eight dingers, a 967 OPS, a 164 WRST plus. He was 64% better than the average big leaguer when he was batting leadoff. This is what I'm saying. I completely agree again. I would love uh, the idea of pop at the top of the order like that is very intriguing. It is going to be interesting to see how that plays out going into the season. And I'm curious to see what kind of, it's one of the things that's interesting to look at spring when you, there's times when like, Oh, that's the starting lineup. You know, when the starting lineup gets rolled out all at the same time, it's just interesting to see where guys are slotted in the batting order. Not that that's where they end up on opening day, but it's one of the things that will be fun to look for. I'm very intrigued by that, Aubrey. Yeah, Thank too. you for bringing it up. Uh, Aubrey, I will reiterate for submitting your question. You receive a Mariners prize pack. Uh, we will uh, be reaching out to you shortly for that, Aubrey. And uh, go get them. Nicely done. Hey, we got plenty more to get to here on the Hot Stove Report. Uh, today marked the first full squad workout for the Mariners, meaning the start of spring training games is right around the corner. Just in time, tickets to Mariners spring training also go on sale tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with only 2,000 socially distanced seats available per game. To buy your tickets and read about the health and safety guidelines, all you have to do is go to mariners.com slash spring training. We do have plenty more to get to here on the Hot Stove Report. We are thrilled to have you with us here tonight. When we return, we'll be talking things over with Carson Vitale of the Mariners coaching staff, one of our favorite guys. He swings by next on the Hot Stove Report. Welcome back. Glad you're with us on the Hot Stove Report, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And we're really excited to talk to our next guest. He is the uh, the Forrest Gump of Mariners baseball. He is the most recognizable man, uh, maybe in Seattle, certainly uh, at the Peoria Sports Complex, as we are uh, proud to welcome to the program a proud Canadian himself, Carson Vitale, Mariners field coordinator, going into his second year in the big league level with the M's. Carson, man, it's wonderful to be with you. How are you? I'm great. And we got first day of full squads. It's, it's a good day to be a Mariner. It is a good day to be a Mariner. Uh, Carson, there, there's so many things that we want to talk to you about. Like, first of all, what is a field coordinator? <laughs> but we, we want to give ample time off the top to talk about something that we're really grateful has uh, caught the eye of, of a lot of other people in the community. Uh, some members of the media have uh, profiled you because of this as well. You've talked to Gary about this last time uh, you were running 12 miles by yeah. UW uh, this time you were stationary, but man, you set up a, a goal, a new year's resolution for 2021. That is unlike almost any other that we've ever heard. Uh, tell us please what you are doing and why you're doing it. Yeah, it's a lofty endeavor, but one I think has already yielded some pretty cool things. Um, early in the off season, my wife and I started volunteering with United Way of King County and it really opened us to um, 
just a misfortune that is just right in front of our eyes in our own community and really shifted our perspective in terms of how we view community civic leadership and just civic pride in general. And, um, it was, it was new year's Eve and, you know, I, I'm an avid runner and an idea popped in my head to make these miles more useful. So I got home that night, uh, talked to Lucy about it and we decided to make a pledge. Um, we did it publicly on Twitter so that, you know, we cannot renege on that idea. Um, and it's been, it's been, you know, really cool to see, you know, a lot of support in the area. Um, not only in Seattle, but a lot of people from back home in Canada, a lot of people from the Midwest where I used to live in Omaha, uh, just a lot of support for the people of Seattle, um, specifically tied to food insecurity uh, and, and families in that area. But the goal, um, as, as you stated, was 10 miles a day for roughly 365 days. So, you know, 3,650 miles on the year. Um, and 50, 50 cents for each mile I run, I'm going to donate that money to the United Way of King County and hopefully attract as many people as I can along the way. So how far along are you mileage wise right now? Let me pull up my Strava. Right. And is this your, your app to track yeah. all this? Yeah. So Strava is kind of like, is a running app in the, it's a running and bicycling app. Uh, it's pretty popular in the bicycling, bicycling community. Um, but very good for, for data tracking and that kind of thing. So on the year, uh, big, big day today, actually, um, I cracked the, 2000 mark. So I'm, I've currently run 651 miles since January 1st. And that puts me at 2,998 to go, which is great though, because I'm actually a roughly 111 miles ahead of pace. So I've banked about 10 free days where I could probably take a day. If it's there, if we have an early flight to Houston or something, you know, and I can't get that run in, um, uh, I've got some, I don't know what word to use. There. You got so yeah. you got a line of credit to play with yeah, there. Got a line of credit. That's a great way to use it. Absolutely, <clears throat> man. For, Carson, for those who, I, first of all, I said you're one, the most recognizable man in Seattle. You have a just colossal beard. I mean, the wind <laughs> resistance alone—that is, the beard must be slowing you down somewhat. And secondly, man, you're a big dude. Like, how? First of all, wh what's the specs? What's the height and weight? You do not have the build of the guy who's going to run ten miles a day. I know. I know. I I'm roughly right now, I'm, I'm about 6'2", uh, right around, I hover around 190. I think I played at like probably 215, 220. Um, ideally, I, I want to run like a, I want to run an ultra, probably a 50 or 100 mile race at some point in next off season. And I think I'd probably need to get down to about 180 to make it realistic. I like the idea of fans as they drive around Seattle, just head on a swivel. Cause I, I swear a couple Sundays ago, I saw you running over the Aurora bridge. I'm driving. It's like, Hey, there, there he is. Might've, might've so, been. I chose not to honk though. Cause I didn't want to, you know, you're running. I didn't want to scare you, but uh, I, I just love the idea of you just running around all over the place. What, uh -oh. What's your favorite route in Seattle? Definitely first have to Pike up Pike to Capitol Hill, down Broadway, over the University Bridge, um, around North Lake, down to West Lake, down towards the boardwalk, and then along Alaska and back to the apartment. Roughly like 13 and a half, 14 miles. That's my favorite. That's, that's so much territory. <laughs> I, love, I love that run because seriously, like I don't enjoy running out here in the desert nearly as much 
like the city itself provides a ton of energy for me. At least I feel that way. Like when I'm running, you know, downtown Seattle and there's people and you see just like the, the local landmarks, it just, it creates, it creates a, an extra boost for me at least. Carson Vitale, Mariners field coordinator is our guest on the hot stove report. You can match his donation by going to givebutter.com slash 365. I'm upset that I did not come up with the domain name, Give Butter. <laughs> uh, givebutter.com slash 365. Uh, we could talk to Carson about running for a long time, Gary in particular. Gary is, a, is an avid runner. My, my last question on the running side of things, because uh, I do want to talk a little baseball with you, is, you know, Gary, he's too humble to say it, but Gary can crush some miles, man. Like he's out there on the road doing 10 plus on a, on a regular basis. But part of the reason why he runs 10 plus is because he wanted to run five, but he gets lost. (laughs) Gary refuses to run with any technology in hand. And so he'll come back to the hotel, just beat red because he got lost in Houston for three hours. Uh, Have you gotten lost on a run yet? Let's see. Um, Not in Seattle. I mean, the, Look at the space needle and kind of never <laughs> get lost, you know. <laughs> I understand. All right. Well, maybe that's the only that's the only thing that Gary has to check off his box on the on the running uh, side of things is Gary. Gary, if you ever want to come running with me, man, I'd love a partner. I can't keep up with you, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's actually a true story. Uh, in Arlington, I almost never came back. <laughs> Humidity there alone might, you know, be <laughs> in. Way longer than I had planned. <laughs> well, Carson, so last year was your first year as Mariners field coordinator, and we almost, of course, never saw you. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you weren't doing your thing and working your tail off. You're going into uh, a, hopefully a, a full season, a full 162, that is, in this role. There are people who are listening who are like me and Gary, and they're saying, what's a field coordinator? So break it down, man. What's your day job? What are you doing? Yeah, it's a pretty uh, nebulous role, um, to be honest. You know, it's each day can look vastly different um, from the next. During spring, it's it's very very similar day to day. You know, create the schedule, run operations, make sure everybody's in the right places. You know, players are supported, staff are supported. Um, the best way I can articulate my job is if the Seattle Mariners were a Venn diagram, and you have your front office, you have analytics, you have player development, um, you have high performance. Um, I think I sit in the middle of that Venn diagram, you know, any given day I'm supporting our player plan process. I am, you know, making sure that our players are, are feeling you know, good and comfortable and, and supported. Um, likewise with our staff in terms of things they need. And really I just like, I'm constantly trying to raise the floor for our processes and our people so that we continue to grow. And you know, that looks a little different on the day to day during the season. It's, it's relatively simple. It's making sure that all of our advanced meetings are in a good spot. Our, our practice plan is in a good spot. You know, our game plan for that night versus our opponent, um, is, is in a good spot. Um, basically I think I'm the, the supporting cast for, for all of our people and, you know, love what I do. You know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for, for anything. What do you like most about what you do? I like seeing, you know, our, a process being created by us, by our staff, uh, by our, our entire group, um, and then seeing our players benefit from it, and then seeing their, you know, their their joyous reaction after, you know, their production on the field, um, you know, sees 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 an increase. You know, it, it means two things for us. It means that our players are maximizing their career, and we're maximizing our win potential. 
And both those things are really good for the Mariners. We're talking with Carson Vitale, the Mariners field coordinator. Carson, uh, Scott Service raves about you. He speaks so highly about you as a professional and as a dude. And your relationship with Scott goes goes back well, well before your days with the Mariners in Seattle. Will you tell us about your time working for Scott in the Angels in the Dominican Summer League? Yeah. So we're both, uh, most people don't know this, but we're both Creighton graduates uh, from Omaha, Nebraska. So I, I think I was a junior in college, and, and Skip came and talked to us one day. Um, he was with the Rangers at the time as their farm director. Um, Anyways, fast forward a few years, and I find myself as the AZL hitting coach. Then the next year as a short season hitting coach, and he's in town one day, and I think we're in Ogden, Utah, maybe. And uh, Skip approaches me about this potential opportunity to go down and manage in the Dominican. And it was, you know, nothing I've ever thought about. Uh, but ultimately, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, it was the most challenging mentally, uh, physically. Uh, emotionally on my family um, but it shifted me uh, in a profound way and I wouldn't be wouldn't be sitting here today without that experience um, it's a second home for me now at this point um, the culture the people it's just everything it's a beautiful place when you went there did you speak any Spanish nope nope, nope. none none of my staff spoke English I didn't know Spanish <laughs> Why do you think I started running? <laughs> In all seriousness, though, uh, yeah, the I've read books on uh, ultra learning, and this the one thing they they that most people note is that if you want to learn a, learn a language, burn the boats, meaning don't have a plan B. There was no plan B. I either learned uh, how to speak um, Spanish and and get by, or I wouldn't communicate. Uh, it was great. <laughs> So how was your Spanish today? Yeah, I haven't immersed myself in the past couple of years. Uh, so it's not as, not as good as it used to be. Um, but it's, it's, it's always on the forefront of my mind. Um, I want to be really proficient at it uh, by the end of the year. Um, and I'm sure I, we have some players in, in the clubhouse that will gladly help me along the way. Nice. Well, Carson, it is wonderful to catch up with you. We we could talk to you for a much, much longer time, man. And uh, we hope we get that opportunity as this season goes along. But thank you for joining us here on The Hot Stove. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And to the people of Seattle, I appreciate the donations and uh, you know, keep making an impact. It means a lot. That, once again, the website to match Carson's donations, uh, givebutter.com slash 365. We come back with more on the hot stove report. When we return Mariners outfielder, Jake Fraley joins us after this timeout. Welcome back inside the hot stove report. Aaron Goldsmith now joined by Jake Fraley, who is uh, getting things going down in Arizona as we are approaching the start of uh, everybody showing up down there to the complex in Peoria. Jake, it's great to have you with us on the show tonight. How you been, man? Good. Everything's been good, man. And uh, even better now that we're getting ready to kick off spring training. So you make uh, the off-season home in Miami, and then you spend time in Arizona. So, like when you when you come to Seattle for the season, man, that's the first time you got to get the galoshes out. You're you're tanned and primed <laughs> year-round. Otherwise, <laughs> I mean, uh, I wouldn't go that far. I'm 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 half Irish, half German. So the the tan part is kind of a, a tough <laughs> one for me. I will say, uh, as we are recording this over video conference call, Jake, the beard is looking in mid-season form. What is the off-season beard maintenance program like? 
I gotta, for me to get the shape that I want, I gotta, I gotta trim it up and, and attend to it probably once every like week and a half to two weeks. Um, and then other than that, uh, the normal, obviously beard shampoo. So cleaning it, um, and then, uh, beard oil. So just trying to keep it, uh, how I want it. Very fancy oil and shampoo specifically for the beard. I got a lot to learn. Yeah, the oil is good for the, for the skin. So that's a must. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> hey man, we, we all wish that we would have seen more of Jake Fraley last year in Seattle. You spent the majority of the truncated 2020 season in Tacoma as, as we are now getting ready for things to fire up for a full 162 in 2021. What was it that you were able to take out of the oddity that was last year that you feel will benefit you moving forward into this season and beyond? Yeah. Um, a lot. Uh, last year was, um, quite honestly, a very, very tough year for myself. Um, as I mean, uh, a lot of us, uh, and even not the players, even, you know, just the entire world with everything that that's going on and that's, you know, kicked off and started last year, um, dating back to almost a year now when, you know, all of us got that news in spring, spring training last year that everything was going to be shut down. But, I mean, last year was a big, big learning um, step for me uh, and my family. Um, and for me going forward, um, and I mean, anybody that talks to me, uh, and I, you know, fortunate enough to be able to get on like we're doing now and, and discuss some of these things, um, I always uh, go the route of where my heart is at. And that's obviously where, you know, Jesus is. Um, and last year was a big, uh, learning step in, in, in my personal life, but also in correlation with my baseball career, where, um, I really learned a lot about, uh, where I was putting my trust. Um, and it was in the wrong spots. Um, I was putting my trust in, uh, quite frankly, the things that, um, aren't going to fill me up, um, aren't going to allow me to receive what I want. Um, and aren't going to, uh, provide for me, um, you know, what I need on a daily basis as far as for my happiness and joy. Um, so for me, it was really eye opening. Um, it was, uh, allowing me to kind of rear back a little bit, um, realize what really matters, um, which is me walking with, uh, with Jesus every day, um, and not relying on kind of what the Seattle Mariners think of me or what fans think of me, or even go as far as, you know, what, um, my teammates think of me for me, it was really just learning where those values are at taking, you know, some of the things that happened with a grain of salt and then moving on from that. Um, and it's really, really been an amazing ride. That's I love, uh, in the Bible, when, uh, I listen to the prophet Paul talk and, and Paul talks about how perseverance, uh, develops faith. Um, so just going through and persevering through those things, is allowing me to kind of build up that faith that, that I have, uh, that I walk with every day, um, and kind of catapult me into, you know, this year, um, and kind of keeping me on more of a solid foundation of, uh, not relying, um, on the things that I did rely on last year. And quite frankly, probably the years before that as well, just not noticing it so much, uh, to where, uh, like I said, that foundation is, is solid now. And it's on the things that matter. Mariners outfielder Jake Fraley is our guest on the Hot Stove Report. Jake, that sounds like a, a pretty serious personal journey that, that you went on in, in 2020. What was what was the final tipping point? Was this uh, you looking in the mirror, a conversation with your wife or someone else? What was it that really made you realize that something had to change mentally for you? Yeah, uh, I think for me, um, the tipping point was when I got 
when I got called up, so I obviously didn't make the opening day roster, um, which is a big blow, obviously anticipating that to, to be out there and be with the team um, for opening day and uh, obviously for the entirety of the season. But, you know, I, I when that happened, I, I went back to the alternate site. You know, I stuck my tail between my legs. You know, I, I took it like a man, um, like you should, um, when you kind of get hit in the face a little bit. You know, I didn't really play uh, too well uh, in the summer camp. Um, you know, I'm not the one that's going to, you know, try and beat around the bush. You know, I'm going to take it head on. And, and that was the case. And um, so I went back to the alternate site uh, when that first happened. And, you know, I just went head on with, you know, what I wanted to kind of fix on at work. And um, I was playing extremely well every day in the alternate site. And then I got called up and for the first time last year. And then I was up there for, I think five games and then they called me back down and I got, I got sent back to the alternate site. And for me, that was the real tipping point. Um, when I, I remember very vividly coming back from that road trip in Anaheim. And then, uh, like I said, only having, I think five games. And then after that first home game back, they called me to the office, sent me down and, uh, and they actually claimed another, another outfielder, um, which was kind of like the corresponding moves. And for me, man, I was, that was tough. That was, that was really, really tough. I, I got back home and um, that was kind of where it started, where I was like, man, like the decisions and the things that um, kind of are being said about me for, you know, to that point of the year, you know, I kind of sat down and really started thinking to myself, like this, this shouldn't be affecting, you know, kind of like my joy and my happiness as much as it should be. I mean, these are just other people's opinions. And obviously, you know, those decisions are, you know, out of my hands, um, in some sense. And for me, it was really just realizing kind of sitting down and spending my alone time with the Lord and, and really kind of listening to his voice and, and where he's pulling me to. And, you know, with Jesus, it's, it's, it's never pulling you in a negative direction. So when I sat down and really started, uh, focusing on that in my alone time with him, it was really pulling me toward a, a positive and a, and a, um, you know, get back on your feet and let's, let's get through this. Um, and like I said, going back to, you know, what Paul preaches about, you know, the perseverance developing faith. Um, and for me, that was a, a big, big turning point of getting me to, you know, where I am today, not only from, you know, my career standpoint, but also from uh, a personal standpoint. Well, we're very happy to hear that you're uh, feeling like you're in a better place mentally, which is awfully important as we continue our conversation with Mariners outfielder Jake Fraley on the Hot Stove Report. Jake, as we turn our attention to uh, this season, I know last time you were down there in the Valley of the Sun, man, you were uh, sharing a, a house with Justin Dunn. I think, was Kyle Lewis there for a little bit with you guys as well? Yeah, yep, he was there with us, yep. Kalu was there. Now, I mean, the, the Fraley family is already, we got a lot of luggage there, man. we got a family of four uh, in that house. Are we... Just the Fraley's under one roof this spring training. We got other guys. What's what's the housing situation? No, we're uh, we're we're just us. Uh, we got a nice little house out here, right next to the field uh, in Peoria, right next to the complex. Um, we were actually uh, trying to figure out if we were gonna um, live with some very very close friends of us uh, that we consider family, with uh, Timmy Lopes and his wife Amber and their new baby Dallas. Um, but obviously he ended up getting DFA'd and now with the Brewers. So um, he's a little bit more closer to, to over there. So that didn't necessarily work out. So we got a, we got a nice little house here next to the complex uh, with just the Fraley family. What kind of uh, father advice would you give Tim Lopes if he called you up right now and was like, man, Jake, <laughs> these diapers are crushing me, man. What do I do? You got experience, man. Yeah. Um, I would tell him probably uh, have a, 
have an excuse in your back pocket. So every time the wife comes to tell you to change the diaper, you always got it there. <laughs> <laughs> gonna, he's going to, everybody's going to run out of those real fast, man. You know, that better than anybody for sure. Our final question for Jake Fraley, Jake tonight, let's say Ken Griffey jr. Is coming over to the Fraley household for dinner. <laughs> and he specifically says, Jake, I want you cooking, man. You're cooking every dish. What are you making for junior for dinner tonight? I'm going to have to go. I mean, my wife's Cuban, so we would have to go to a Cuban dish. Um, and, and, uh, my, one of my favorite, eh, probably my wife would argue hundred percent. My favorite dish is, uh, it's a dish called Ropa Vieja. And, uh, it's actually funny. Cause when I first, uh, married her, it was around obviously the Cuban cuisine, um, more than I've ever been. Um, it was uh, funny because that obviously translates to old clothes, and so it's like a dish that translates to old clothes, but it's basically, it's just, it's, it's, a uh, it's meat that is just shredded up and it's seasoned a certain way. And it's kind of in like very long strands and you eat that over rice and, um, obviously beans and you got I me, mean, you could have potatoes in there. Um, but my, uh, my wife, uh, is a very good, uh, cook. She cooks all of her dinners every night. Um, so I would a thousand percent probably have her make the, the ropa vieja that, uh, that we eat a lot during the off season and during the season. I got to say, man, for uh, Jake Fraley of uh, Irish and German descent, you made that roll off your tongue pretty smoothly, man. Her coaching has been uh, working out for you very well, I can tell. Well, Jake, man, it's, it's, great to, it's great to visit with you once again. It's always a treat, and we hope we can see you more uh, on a regular basis in Seattle coming up in 2021, man. Thank you so much for the time. No problem, man. I appreciate it, guys. God bless you. Our thanks to Mariners outfielder Jake Fraley for swinging by the program here tonight. I'll subscribe to the Mariners YouTube channel for unique content, highlights, live streams, and more. It's the best way to get your daily dose of Mariners baseball. Whether it's a game day or not, visit youtube.com slash Mariners to join the fun. When we come back on the Hot Stove Report, Jim Callis, senior writer at MLB Pipeline, stops by the program. We talk all things Mariners prospects and a whole lot more. We're looking forward to it. Jim Callis joins us next. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill with you. And it's a real treat right now to be joined from his home in Chicago by Jim Callis, a friend of the show, senior writer, MLB Pipeline, who uh, does just fantastic work uh, tracking all things prospects, uh, 365, 24-7. Jim, it is wonderful to have you on the program once again. How are things in your world these days? Uh, Good. You know, it's kind of fun. We have a spring training starting up and the college season starting up and yeah, I know it's very early, but so far so good after, you know, not having a whole lot of baseball to watch outside of the big leagues last year. Hey, Jim, are you are you prepared to watch an actual minor league season this year? God willing that that's actually going to happen and make your job substantially easier? Yeah, I am. You know, it's we I think we're probably going to have to wait until May for our first minor league games, but that's that's fine. You know, as long as as long as we get, you know, 120 or so games if they want to play them from May through September this year instead of April through August. I'm, I'm good with that. That, that works for me. Well, when you take a look at what uh, MLB pipeline has ranked in terms of the top uh, 100 prospects, the Mariners, uh, not a great surprise. The Mariners have a uh, six in the top 100. Uh, the top two, of course, are Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez, who are both in your top five. Uh, you guys have Kelnick at four Julio at five. 
Uh, rounding out those uh, top six in the top 100 for the Mariners, Emerson Hancock, 31, Logan Gilbert, 33, George Kirby, 92, and Taylor Trammell at 100. You know, we, we, we always enjoy speaking to people about the Kelnick-Rodriguez splitting hairs. Uh, you know, which, which do you like better? They're both fantastic. How do you decide which one is better? Uh, can you take us through the thought process or how exactly you flip the coin of having Kelnick at four and uh, Julio at five? No, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, we, we have this debate internally. I know the Mariners do. Uh, I, I don't think there's a right answer. We obviously have them back to back. I mean, they're both they're, they both play the same position, which makes it a little easier to compare them. I mean, I, I think the, 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 the simple comparison is, is that Rodriguez is going to have more power and Kelnick is a better hitter. Although I think like you got to be careful. You don't shortchange either guy because I think Julio Rodriguez is a plus hitter. And I think Jared Kelnick's going to have plus power. I, I would take Kelnick to me. If you have two guys who are close, I would bet on the guy with the better bat for one and two, you know, Kelnick's faster. Um, his arm's not as good, but it's a good arm. He can play center. Uh, you know, Rodriguez is more of a corner guy. So I think there's more positional value. Um, I, I would take Kelnick. I mean, it's tough because, you know, Kelnick could be, say, if these guys become what they're supposed to be, Kelnick's a center fielder who could win a batting title and hit 30 homers a year. And Rodriguez is a corner outfielder who might hit, you know, 280 to 300 with 40 homers a year. So <laughs> which one do you want? They both have great makeup. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys have spoken to Julio Rodriguez yet. I mean, he's super outgoing. I mean, he has his own podcast. He's a lot of fun. You know, Kelnick, you know, he just has this like, just, just burning intensity. Like I, I tell the story anytime I do a Mariners, you know, related program of any sort. I, the last time I saw Jared was at the Arizona fall league in 2019 and he barely played down there. I don't know if you guys remember, but he had his wisdom teeth out um, and he was ticked. They, they made him sit for a while and he was ticked. Cause when I, I talked to him after his first game, I think he had a couple of hits and he's like, I don't play baseball with my mouth. I, I could have played. I've been ready to play for a week, you know, classic Kelnick, but like, so in the fall league, the default question you ask everybody, what are you working on down here? You know, what do you need to do? And in his case, I was like, what do you need to do? You know, before you're ready for the big leagues. You know, he obviously, you know, moved very quickly. He was in double A his first full pro season. He just looked at me and said, I'm ready for big leagues right now. Like, and, and it wasn't cocky and he didn't think about it. He just said that without his say, I'm ready for big leagues right now. He's like, uh, I think I'm ready to hit those guys. Um, he, he said, the, the thing I'm going to need to work on is learning to deal with adversity and accept failure. Cause I am going to struggle. These are the best pitchers in the world, but I'm ready right now. And, um, and I was just like, wow, like, like uh, as if I didn't like him enough already just to be able to pull off that line. But, but also like there was no cockiness. I mean, he, he was, he was answering the question I asked him and he's like, no, I'm, I, I can hit those guys right now. Let's go. Um, and so it's just going to be a lot of fun to watch those guys. I mean, you guys probably saw the same thing we did. I mean, the Mariners, um, staff was great. You know, when we had no baseball really to watch outside of, you know, the, the big leagues last year, the Mariners were one of the best teams about showing video from the alt site. And it seemed like every other day, you know, you, there was a video of loud crack off Kelnick's bat and him hitting a home run. Like, I, I mean, for what it's worth, and I know it's not worth a lot, but if you were going by social media videos from the alt site, Kelnick probably could have played in the big leagues last year. He was crushing the ball. So I, I cannot wait to see these two guys. You know, it's fun when we talk about these two, Kelnick and Rodriguez. And I guess I think about it when, you know, we end up talking about comparisons, things like that. It seems like their skill sets and their personalities fit really well together. They complement each other really well, which is fun. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, like, you know, I mean, I think, um, you know, they, they, they push each other a little bit, you know, because I mean, they, they look, they both know they're talented. They're both young. They play, you know, they're both playing the outfield. I mean, we're going to be saying their names together, you know, probably for years and years. And uh, no, I mean, it's like, like you said, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what you'd change about those guys, really. Um, like there's, there's no glaring flaw. They have great makeup. They work hard. They're super advanced for their age. I mean, if we really want to quibble, yeah, maybe we make Julio a left-handed hitter. So he's got the platoon advantage more often, but like, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, a, a guy who got the double a when he was 20 and a guy got the high class a when he was age 18 and they both had great seasons. Um, it, it's hard to, it, it's hard to find anything to really quibble about with these guys. Jim Callis is our guest on the hot stove report. He is a senior writer for MLB pipeline. Jim, I know it's, there's a long way from now, but the 2021 draft will be here at some point over the summer. The Mariners uh, will be drafting a 12th overall uh, last five drafts. Jim, as you know, the Mariners have gone a college player each time last three drafts. They've gone right-handed pitcher each time out of college. Uh, everything can change, not just a lot, but everything can change between now and June. But as you look at 12th overall with uh, the college season just beginning as we speak, are there any names that uh, you think would might be kind of fun to pin up on a board to at least keep in mind and keep an eye on? Yeah, you know, I mean, if we're going to go kind of, you know, they, they, they've gone heavy college, so let's think college again. The guy, and, and, and I, all this must be taken with a huge grain of salt because – Unlike most years, you know, there was very little summer ball play last year. Usually the college guys are scouted extensively in wood bat leagues, you know, best players playing against best players in the Cape Cod League and elsewhere. And there really wasn't any of that. Very few of the top players played any summer ball last year. There were only sporadic leagues here and there. So I know from talking to teams, they feel like as of right now, compared to a typical year, like they know the names but they, they don't feel real comfortable with the college guys yet. Like that they, they know these guys like they would if we were coming off a normal year. Now, all that said, if we're looking at college guys to kind of fall into that 12th range, number 12 pick range, you know, based on what we know now, to me, the best case scenario, probably dreaming a little bit. I don't think he gets to him, but the best case would be somebody like Alex Benellis out of Louisville. Um, he's actually a Wisconsin uh, high school product like Jared Kelnick, like Wisconsin's just cranking out talent um, crazily. Um, but he's one of the better hitters in college baseball. He's got a good left-handed power, little question on position. Um, he's got the arm to play third, um, you know, might be more of a corner outfielder, but so I, I, to me, I mean, again, based on the little information we have right now compared to usual, he'd be the best case scenario for me at 12. If I'm looking for a college guy, if they go college pitcher, the two names that would make the most sense to me right now would be Ty Madden from Texas. Um, he combines stuff and pitchability, not unlike an Emerson Hancock or Logan Gilbert, you know, who they've taken the last couple of years. Um, you know, they theoretically, it might, you know, could be in the mix for the, for the top lefty in the draft. Who's a kid from Kansas state named Jordan Wicks, who, you know, it's weird. I'm going to make him sound like he doesn't throw hard and he, and he throws fine. He throws in the low nineties, but his best attributes are he's, he probably has the best changeup in the draft and he's super polished. 
Um, and he's got track record of performing really well in the Big 12. So those would be the pitchers. And then one other hitter who's probably a little bit more realistic than Benellis, not that the Mariners need outfielders, but you don't draft for need, is Colton Kowser at Sam Houston. Um, he's one of the better hitters in the college class as well. He's more hit over power than, than say, Benellis is. Chance to play center field. And interestingly, he was high school teammates with the Ty Madden kid from Texas, who I just mentioned. And that high school team also had a raised supplemental first round pick named JJ Goss from a couple of years ago and White Sox second round pick named Matthew Thompson from a couple of years ago. So that was a loaded team, but that those would be my, my very premature four best guesses mm -hmm. for Mariners. If they go the college route at number 12. You know, we spent for good reason the, the last year or so talking a lot about Mariners prospects, but coming into this season, what are some of the names uh, people should know from the division? You know, the Astros and Angels, A's, Rangers. Are there a name or two that really sticks out that, that people should know heading into the season? Well, the nice thing, I mean, this will make the Mariners feel good, I think, from a prospect standpoint, is um, I think the farm system's like the best in the system by a fairly large margin. Um, and there isn't a lot of immediate help coming. You know, we saw for the Angels, for instance, Joe Dell came up last year and really struggled. He doesn't qualify as a prospect anymore. They have another outfielder named Brandon Marsh who could be up this year. I, I think he's more of the, the solid regular type than a potential superstar. Um, the A's, you know, A's had their guys come up last year. You had the Jesus Lazardos, the Sean Murphys. I don't know that you're really going to see, uh, you know, maybe AJ Puck if he's healthy, but that's a huge question um, for, for the A's. Uh, you know, from a Mariners standpoint, I mean, not Mariners standpoint, from the Astros standpoint, you know, Forrest Willie, you know, a couple of years ago was the best pitching prospect in baseball, but he's been through a number of minor injuries. He had a suspension a couple of years ago. He had control problems. They used 15 rookies last year on the mound and none of them were him. So like he, he's a potential difference maker, but he's also a huge enigma. And then the Rangers, you know, I don't think the Rangers are necessarily, you know, in contending mode right now, but I think you will see a number of their best guys. I mean, we, we saw, Glimpses of Sam Huff hit a couple home runs in the last week of the season behind the plate. Um, we saw Leody Tavares play very good center field. They traded for Dane Dunning, who, who pitched for the White Sox and was pretty good down the stretch. They got him in the Lance Lynn trade. Uh, their, their best prospect right now is a third baseman named Josh Young, who um, I, I think is going to be up this year. So I, I think you'll see a lot of new faces maybe on the Rangers, um, but I don't think they're necessarily – super close to contending and the other teams, not quite so much. So the, the, the Mariners are the, the Mariners are unquestionably to me have the best young talent in the ALS right now. Uh, hey, Jim, man, you are the best of what you do. You're always so generous with your time. We love having you on the program. Thanks for stopping by once again tonight. You're, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Well, our thanks to Jim Callis, senior writer at MLB pipeline for man, always a great look at what's going on down on the farm for the Mariners and some of the guys we'll be seeing in a very short time from now up in the big leagues in Seattle. Plenty more to get to on the Hot Stove Report. When we come back, Rob Marcello Jr., who gets set to coach for the third year of the Mariners organization. This will be his first season with Triple A Tacoma as their pitching coach, a job he was supposed to have last year, if not for 2020 being what it was. We'll talk all things pitching with Rob Marcello Jr., when we come back, welcome back. The hot stove report carries on Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill joined now by Rainier's pitching coach, Rob Marcello jr. Kind enough to join us from inside the complex in Peoria, Arizona. Uh, Rob, it is our first time speaking with you. You've had uh, quite the journey in the last couple of years. And uh, we got a lot of pitching to talk about, but for anybody who follows you on uh, social media, on Twitter, man, like this is, 
you are not a pitching follow. You are a home renovation follow. Uh, anybody who knows your name on Twitter just knows that you're like the guy who remodels kitchens. You're the Bob Vila of pitching coaches. <laughs> it's great to talk with you. How's the kitchen looking? Uh, the kitchen's good. I think uh, my wife is happier than I am that it's finally done. Um, <laughs> dealing with COVID, dealing with me kind of walking in. She bought the house when I was coaching in Modesto. Um, so I walked in without ever seeing the house, just seeing it via FaceTime and kind of said, I didn't like the kitchen. So started demolishing it, um, not knowing much about it and then rebuilt it. So it's taken some time and learned a bunch from it. So it's fun. Yeah. Home, home for you is in Florida. When, when you undertook this process, I mean, was this something that you had dabbled in before, or is this a complete rookie, uh, renovation for you? Um, I've had some odd jobs growing up. Um, so it was something there and then junior college coach now remodels houses. So I gave him a call as soon as I started going and I was like, man, should I do this? He's like, yeah, man, just YouTube it. Um, <laughs> which obviously the wife did not appreciate. Um, I'm thankful I'd help come in, obviously teach me those things. I sat there, watched a bunch of stuff. Um, again, it, it just takes time, it takes time and want things a certain way and it's your house and you're trying to make it a certain way. And you're like, Oh, don't have the money for that. Um, I'll wait another month and find another odd job, pick up some baseball lessons, pay for it. So I'm glad it's done. Glad I got to leave this year and I uh, have a new kitchen for my wife and kids. So. Yeah. For all of us uh, young dads out there, we uh, certainly enjoy your, your hashtag dad life uh, posts. And you do have two just adorable little girls, uh, quite the family man. We can tell. Uh, Rob Marcello Jr. is our guest here on the Hot Stove Report. He is the Rainier's, I would say the new Rainier's pitching coach, but it, he really should be going into year two as the Rainier's pitching coach. If last year was a normal season, it would have been Rob's first year. Uh, this is technically his third year in the organization. Uh, Rob, you were the Modesto pitching coach back in 2019 at Low A Ball. Your journey from high school prospect to junior college, to being drafted, uh, to retiring after a season and getting right into coaching. It's been a whirlwind. Can you give us kind of the cliff notes version as to how you went from a college pitcher to now a triple A pitching coach and what seems like the blink of an eye? Yeah, I think whirlwind is the, the perfect word to use there. Um, it's, it's opening up doors, found some doors that were open, took some chances and ended up an organization that I uh, felt appreciated in um, and kudos to Andy kind of bringing me in right away and trusting me going to a ball and then kind of that promotion helped. Um, and again, it, it all started, I would say at Rollins college, I was the JV pitching coach making $2,000 a year. Uh, wife was pregnant, almost due, got into her master's degree at UCF. Um, so obviously being a like, uh Oh, baby's on the way. got to get some money, started doing lessons, ended up one of our players at Rollins college introduced me to Brent Strom, Astros pitching coach, got the fly out, meet him. And then he was like, man, you're good. Like, you know, your stuff and kind of gave me that confidence I needed. Um, obviously like trying to find the way in baseball and he got me connected to a bunch of people and it helped. Um, and that's what this game is. It's, it's those connections that end up helping you out the most. Um, so from there I ended up meeting Paul Davis. And then when Paul was here, 19 kind of gave the name to Andy and ended up getting hired and jumping right into the Mariners. So it's been a journey. It's been a journey and it, I don't think it's over at all. So it's fun. What do you like most about coaching? The players. Uh, for me, the minor league system is, is an enjoyment. Seeing those guys get the climb, promoting guys, seeing the smile on their face saying, Hey, you get to go to double a, 
Um, and even at the alternate side, Hey man, you get to go to the big league, seeing that enjoyment on their face. It's something as a player I didn't get. Um, but seeing them accomplish their goals and get to a point where, Hey man, I'm finally there. or I'm getting closer. I think it's fun. And it's, it's the same thing back. I think they enjoy me in the same way. Like, man, you're a dad, you're doing this stuff. Like how are you trying to navigate it? So it's works both ways. One of the guys that you've had a chance to spend some time with now the last couple of years is Logan Gilbert, one of the top pitching prospects in the game. And you, you had a chance to see some of uh, really in the grand scheme of his career, some of his very first starts uh, when he was in, in a ball with you. He told me a story about a mound visit where you came out to the mound and you just stared at him <laughs> and he just stared back at you. And you guys just looked at each other for what he made it sound like was like five minutes before anybody said anything. Can you, can you walk us through what you obviously remember this? You're laughing. Can you tell us what happened? I, I do remember it. And mine Logan's uh, pass goes further than just the Mariners. I ended up training him at the facility. I owned for a little bit short period of time. So I knew him. Um, my expectations are high as a coach. And I think he either walked a guy and threw a ball, wasn't winning his OOs, kind of the Mariners philosophy. And I remember just walking out and he knew it. He knew exactly why I was coming out. And it was like, I'm not going to say a word, you know, what's wrong. Like, but I'm going to, I'm going to call time pretty much and just walk out there and let you know that you're not doing your job up to your expectation. Um, and he talks about it all the time. It's like, man, you really walked out and didn't say a word. I'm like, and coming back, he knew exactly why he's like, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have thrown that pitch or shouldn't have walked this guy. He knows his mistakes. Um, and it was just, Hey man, I'm here and I, I know you messed up. So this is why I'm out here. So just to clarify, you truly never said a single word. Yeah. I, I want to say, I don't even know if the catcher came out. I think I'm <laughs> going to stay there and it was just going to be me and Logan out there. Um, I'm pretty sure the umpire walked up and I don't think I said a word to him either. Um, the expectations for Logan have always been high. Again, I just hold it as a coach. Say you're, you're out there to go do your job. And if you're not going to do it, I'm going to remind you that you're not doing your job yet. Mariner fans are very excited to see Logan Gilbert for the first time. We hope at some point this year, and you've been with them for a while. Tell us about Logan Gilbert as a pitcher. The most prepared pitcher you'll see. Um, he, he's his daily routine, day in and day out, is is top notch. It's something that I think other players gravitate towards and see him do his work, and we're like, okay, how do I get up to his level? Um, and I think it raises the bar. It raises the bar for every pitcher in the clubhouse whenever he's around. It's like, okay, this guy's prepared. He went out, he did his job, and you're like, okay, what can I pick up on him? Even though he'll be young, I think he'll he'll bring that presence to the locker room more than anything. That guy's going to go out and compete day in and day out and try to give you seven, eight innings every single outing um, and not want the ball to go to the bullpen at all. Um, he, he either wants to throw seven or throw a complete game. It's his ball and it's his game. It's his day. Um, that's the way he feels every time. It's a treat to be joined by Rob Marcello Jr. He is the Rainier's pitching coach for 2021. Uh, Rob, there, there's not a single guy who gets hired in this game today who doesn't have a grasp on the analytical side of the game. That's clearly something that you have in your back pocket. Tell us uh, what role that plays for you in your coaching, how much you lean on and how much you communicate it. It's communicated a lot. And 
the best way to describe it is as a coach, we have to simplify it as much as possible to the player and get them to buy into it. Um, our analytical department here gives us the answers to the test on how this pitcher can be in the big leagues. It's how can we communicate it to the pitcher and make them believe in it as quick as possible. Um, and it starts with building relationships as much as knowledge is out there. You can Google anything you want. Um, so in coaching it, it's about building that relationship and then having that in your back pocket. So you can talk to the extremely intelligent player that wants to dive in deeper. Um, but you have it, it's pitching. It's the, you have the int extremely intelligent. Then you have the guy who, I mean, I'm just gonna go out there and throw and you're like, okay, but we need to understand a little bit of this. Um, so it's trying to navigate both worlds when talking to a pitching staff, which is fun. It's a challenge. Um, and it, it's a fun challenge. You know, I think about it and it wasn't that long ago that you were a pitcher and just how much information we've learned since then in that short amount of time. How do you stay on top of what always feels like an ever evolving field? For me, it's, it's leaning on staff members. Um, it's something that it's easy to do with the Mariners. It's a very open communication where, Hey man, what are you talking about today? I mean, even walking in day one, Woody and Trent were talking about something else. Man, I haven't heard that terminology yet. Okay. Hey, what were you guys talking about? Let me dive into it tonight. Um, and you just pick up on cues and the key to being a good coach for me is being a good listener. Um, you, you sit in a room with top notch coaches, guys that have been doing it forever. And you start to hear certain things and you're like, all right, let me dive into that tonight. Um, I say, especially when I'm away from home, it's, I have nothing to go home to. So I just sit on the computer and, Hey, let's start Googling stuff. Let's start looking up stuff. Let's start asking people questions that I might know. Um, and that's the best way to stay on top of it is sitting in a room and being a good listener. Rob, uh, Seattle or Tacoma is a long way from your home in Florida, but you have some family in Seattle. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah. And it, it's a, it's a cool experience for me. Um, my dad passed away when I was 13. So it's my dad's side. Um, it's his sister. So it's going to be a cool experience to kind of reconnect with her. She's been out there a while, um, has battled breast cancer. So it's, kind of cool to give them Mariners gear that I have and uh, kind of support them in a cool way. Um, and I'm excited. I'm excited to see them. I'm excited for my kids, my wife to fly out, kind of interact with their families and get to hang out in a new part of the U S Rob, we know you're eager to put the tool belt down and pick up the Rapsodo for the next few months. So we are, we're happy to have you on the program. We're, we're thrilled to follow you and the Rainiers this year in 2021. And uh, you have come a long way in a short period of time, man, in your future remains very, very bright. Thanks for hopping on with us here tonight. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Man, good to talk things over with Rob Marcello Jr., who will be going into his first year as the Rainiers pitching coach here in 2021. Eager to catch up with him again once the season gets underway. Well, baseball is just around the corner. The best way to catch the action of the Mariners this season is with the 2021 Flex membership. It's the most flexible plan of the game, allowing you to attend the games you want, sit where you want, and spend what you want all with no deposit required. For more information on how you can become a Flex member, text 21 to 71532. When we return on the Hot Stove Report, we are eager to talk to this young man, Cal Raleigh, Mariners catching prospect, joins us next after this timeout. Hot Stove Report rolls along, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill, and uh, we're excited to be talking with one of the Mariners' top prospects and a guy that we've been talking about on the air, and we followed his 2019 season very closely in Seattle uh, throughout the course of the months that he was just on an absolute rampage in high A and double A. It was, we're joined by Mariners catching prospect Cal Raleigh, who's down in Arizona. Cal, it's, it's great to finally talk with you, man. Uh, how, how are you doing these days? Yeah, it's good to be here. Uh... 
doing well, you know, just getting, uh, getting going here at camp and, uh, you know, excited for uh, a, a full uh, 2021 season. Absolutely. We, we all are. This has been a, a bizarre stretch of time in your baseball life. What has this offseason been like for you following a, a season where you didn't get to compete at the normal level that you've been used to your whole life? Yeah, it's been weird. I mean, obviously, not just me, everybody. Everybody's had to deal with it. And, uh, you know, it's something that's, you know, very unfortunate. But, uh, you know, you just kind of kind of keep chugging along and keep working hard and, you know, know that things are going to get back to normal one day. And, um, you know, there's still camp to get ready for and still season coming up. So uh, when uh, all that stuff comes to play, you know, it's just, it's the same old, same old, but still in the uh, weird COVID times right now. You know, for those who maybe don't remember kind of your origins quite as well, Cal, uh, a quick refresher, Florida state guy, third round draft pick 2018 by the Mariners 2019 was your first full season. And we just saw that, that huge leap for you that year, you had a chance to, to work with a a lot of guys who we've spoken to and talked about a lot. One of those guys is Logan Gilbert and man, Logan just lights up when he talks about working with you. And Logan is a prepaholic. I don't have to tell you that he is as prepared as, as anybody. And his quote to us on this program was, I thought I prepared for a game better than anybody. And then along came Cal. (laughs) (laughs) So with that in mind, uh, tell us about your preparation process day in and day out, specifically when it comes to helping your, your pitchers out. Yeah. um, You know, it's an important, you know, part of what we do as catchers. I was taught, you know, very early on, obviously being a uh, coach's kid, you know, preparation is key. And, um, you go into a game prepared, you know, it makes things a lot easier once you get there. And, um, you know, the Mariners uh, really uh, do a good job of getting us ready for uh, games and letting us know that we need to be prepared and we need to know what to do. And uh, I think that's just something that, you know, I uh, definitely got accustomed to in my first full year and learned how to uh, put it into my game. And um, pitchers, they have a lot going on. If I can be part of their brain or part of their thinking process. And that makes it just easier for them to go out there and pitch. You know, they don't have to think as much. They don't have to do as much, you know, kind of searching or, you know, what if I need to this pitch, this pitch, this spot. I feel like that's what the catcher's there for. You know, he can kind of guide the pitcher and, you know, help him as much as he can and try to get outs and win ball games. What's it like catching Logan? A lot of fun to catch. It's funny. I actually caught his pin the other day and, uh, Going into it, I'm like, all right, I've caught Logan a bunch of times. I know exactly what he's going to be throwing. But then I get down there, and his fastball has even more life than what I remember. And I was like, wow, he got even better this offseason. <laughs> so it was uh, it was cool to see. And getting to catch him is a lot of fun. You know, like uh, nobody takes it more serious, and nobody has more devoted and how much time and effort they put in than Logan does. He uh, – he's put his work in and he puts it in every day and he punches that clock and everybody knows when it's his start day. You know, everybody, everybody's like, Oh, it's Logan's start day. We don't need to score many runs or we don't need to, uh, we don't need to worry about a guy not going to go more than three innings. He's going to, he's going to go out every time and compete and give you his best. And I think that's all you can ask for as a, as a catcher and a teammate. So Mariners catching prospect Cal Raleigh is our guest on the hot stove report. Cal, you mentioned you grew up in baseball, coach's son. I think this is this is fascinating. Your your father, Todd, signed with the Red Sox, and your uncle Matt 
was a draft pick of the Expos back in 1992. And your uncle was actually minor league teammates with Scott Hunter, who was the Mariners scouting director. He coordinates the drafts for the Mariners. Uh, this is a, a relationship uh, between those two gentlemen that seems like it's still very much intact to this day. Uh, who would have ever guessed that the baseball circles of gods would bring everybody back together through your career? What is your relationship like uh, with your uncle and uh, how much have you had a chance to talk to Scott Hunter about uh, what kind of player he was back in the day? Yeah. Um, you know, me and my uncle, we talk often. Uh, he's a big hitting guy. Um, definitely him and my dad have definitely taught me so much about, you know, playing and uh, just getting to be around those, uh, those guys. Is, it's been awesome. And uh, just been very lucky that I've had that. And, you know, not a lot of people, you know, have fathers and uncles that play professional baseball or coach professional baseball coach college baseball so getting to grow up around that was awesome and uh yeah it's it's kind of funny how that all works out and how uh how small this world seems like it is sometimes i always think about everything a young catcher has on his plate i mean as you move through the system you're working on you're hitting, right? And you're getting to know your pitchers and you're learning about other hitters, how to attack them. It just seems like there is so much preparation that goes into it, especially for a young catcher, uh, learning you and learning the system and learning everything else. How much work is it? How difficult is it as you maneuver through your minor league career? I wouldn't say it's easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. So, but, uh, you know, you just gotta, you gotta take everything one step at a time, you know, you can't, you can't try to mesh everything together. You can't try to be Superman and do all these things and try to please everybody. I'd say, you know, being prepared, uh, knowing what you need to do and what's going to get you right for, you know, seven o'clock, what, what time's game time. And I think that's something I had to learn early on, you know, especially my first camp, even some of my second camp, I was trying to do too much. I was trying to do everything and trying to please everybody. And, just realizing you can't do that and you need to, you know, do what's best for you because that's, what's going to be best for the team. So if I can get myself prepared in every aspect, you know, taking one step at a time, then I know that I'll give my uh, team the best chance to win and the best, uh, you know, player they can get. Hey Cal, during some of the idle time over the last, let's call it years uh, worth of time, uh, you, you've been a busy guy, man. You went back to uh, Tallahassee, got everything uh, buttoned up with the degree, finished that final year. You are a, a fully educated young man. Tell us about the about what you ended up getting a major in and, and what that process was like being a, a pro ball pay, player but picking up some textbooks during the offseason. I guess I went back in 19. I went started back in 19 and knocked out five courses, and then obviously COVID hit, and I was like, you know what, I need to – I might as well try to finish this thing up. I mean, I can get another chance like this, especially with the season being delayed. And, uh, you know, I always told my parents I would go back and get my degree. They always they really wanted me to uh, to earn that and get that. And they always told me nobody can ever take that away from you. So uh, just going back and keeping that promise and just being a good role model, especially for my younger siblings, they, they can see that. And uh, that was important for me. And that was uh, – I think that was uh, something I'm very proud of. I guess it, going back to your question, it was business entrepreneurship is what I got my degree in at Florida State. Cal Raleigh is our guest on the Hot Stove Report. Along the lines, Cal, of game calling, I know Dan Wilson and others on the coaching staff 
from the majors all the way through the lowest level of the minors for the last couple of off seasons been holding a GCU game calling university where all the catchers get together and, uh, and, and talk about specifically that I'm, I'm curious, your, uh, interactions with Dan in that platform and what GCU has, has done for you and your development. Dan's awesome. I got to work very closely with Dan last year at the alternate side up in Tacoma, getting to work him with every day was, it was just, it was great. He's the man, Dan, the man is what we call him, but, uh, played in the league for 10 plus years, had a great career, well-respected around the league. He's super smart too. Um, you know, just getting to pick his brain and have him watch you and, you know, just the little things he says, you, you can just tell, like, he's, he's one of the smarter minds I've ever been around. He could, you know, in my mind, easily be a, a manager for all 30 clubs right now. Um, he's that smart. And uh, like I said, getting to work with him every day is a blessing and having a guy like that around the org is uh, very beneficial. And those uh, calls have been really good as well. We had those every week uh, for about two hours going over pitchers this off season and, Getting to do that was good. Having a lot of the catchers on and, you know, uh, the coaching staff and a lot of uh, people who work hard to put that information together. It was a, it was a lot of fun getting to learn, learn and uh, go over a lot of pitchers and so we can be ready for camp. Cal, this has been a lot of fun, man. We are so excited about your future and we've loved tracking your career to this point. And we're eager to whenever that day comes where we get to see you up in Seattle. So thanks for spending time with us here tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Great to talk things over with Mariners catching prospect Cal Raleigh, a guy that we have heard a lot of great things about for a number of years at this point. And we're happy to have him on the program. Well, the Mariners team store is ready to help outfit you for the 2021 season at any of their four convenient locations. Or if you prefer, you can also place an order by emailing Mariners team store and Mariners.com to arrange delivery or curbside pickup for information and hours, visit Mariners.com slash team store. Well, that that's just about does it for Gary. Hard to believe it. Our final hot stove report for 2021. We are transitioning to the Cactus League report and our first spring training broadcast, first game of the spring for the Mariners comes on Sunday. This is, uh, it's all gone by so quickly. Our thanks to all of our guests on the program tonight, to all who made this one possible. Gary Hill, I'm Aaron Goldsmith. We'll talk to you next from the Valley of the Sun.